0: Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of James tonight, to so the book of James, we're continuing our series entitled Practical Christianity, uh, going through the book of James verse by verse. We find ourselves in James chapter 4, verse number 8 here tonight. <clears throat> Only one verse in uh, our, our uh, text tonight, but if you've been a Holy Call for any length of time, you know that the number of verses has little to no effect on the length of the message. And so, it um, means nothing whatsoever, but the one verse we're going to take a look at tonight. <coughs> We'll back up to, uh, as we take a look at this uh, text, uh, James chapter uh, uh, 4, verse number 7, we'll start there, uh, because it's kind of uh, one consistent thought as we go through this uh, as well. James chapter 4, starting verse number 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded We're entitled tonight's message, Staying Close to God, and I think all of us as Christians want to maintain a close walk with God, at least we do in theory. Uh, The idea that you and I would be far from God is a troubling thought, but many times Christians are far off from God um, due to neglect and a multitude of other things as well, Uh, but we need to make sure that we maintain a close relationship with God tonight. We'll take a look at how we do that. First of all, we see in this passage that our proximity to God is always determined by us. If you're away from God, there's one person who's at fault, and it's not God. It's you. If there's ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now, there's a Bible word for that. Does anybody want to help me with what that is? Backslidden. That's not a good thing, right? Right? If there was ever a time in my life, say, for example, when I was in college or when I was uh, a new Christian or something like that, I was closer to God than I am right now at this very moment, that means at some point I have backslidden. That's a bad thing. Now, it's important to understand what we mean when we talk about being backslidden. Some people uh, errantly believe that being backslidden means that you've lost your salvation. Let me just encourage you tonight that once you have been saved by the Spirit of God, you cannot be unsaved. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot sin against God to such an extent that you are no longer a Christian. Uh, you might uh, deny God. Uh, you might uh, turn your back on God. Uh, you might turn your back on the faith. But there's nothing that you can do if you are truly born again child of God to lose your salvation. That's a fact. Take it to the bank. The Bible says that if we're uh, in Christ, that we're inside our Father's hand and no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. That's a promise from God's Word and we want to make sure uh, that we get that uh, squared away from the very, very beginning. So if you've been saved, what that means is there's been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin. You've confessed your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. All of us need to make sure that we've done that. If you're here tonight and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you need to hear this. You've broken God's law, I've broken God's law. Because of that, we are in danger of God's punishment or judgment. God's judgment comes. uh, When we die, we'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. That's God's punishment for our sin. But God has made another way for your sin to be cared for that does not require your punishment. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place And Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life, died for my sins and died for yours so that you can be forgiven and no longer have to pay for your own sin. Jesus paid it for you. But that requires two things from you. It requires you to truly believe that faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is the only way to heaven. I believe that he rose again on the third day. I believe all those things with every fiber of my being. And it also requires repentance on your part. Repentance means I know that I have been wrong and I have sinned against God and I'm asking God to forgive me of my sin. Now the word repentance is really important. It's gonna be especially important as we uh, take a look at our text tonight. The word repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind or change of direction. And so... For me to pursue Jesus Christ over here, I have to turn my back on my sin over here. I cannot continue to pursue my sin because when I pursue my sin, I go further and further from God. And so if there's never been a time in your life you say, well, I'm not sure if I've been saved or born again, do that tonight. It's not a matter of joining our church or being baptized or doing anything religious. It's just truly believing what the Bible says. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that if I put my faith in him that he will save me and I'm asking him to forgive me of my sins. If you would do that, you could be saved tonight. And I would encourage you if you say, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not, please don't leave without talking to me personally. Uh, If you're a lady, I'll have you sit down with another lady. If you're a man, I'll have you sit down with another man or I'll I'll sit down with you and show you how you can know for sure from the Bible that you are saved or born again. But being close to God, that's 100% on you. It's important to note from our text we see here tonight that God never moves away. The only way that he moves is when he comes near. Again, we see in verse number eight here, if we draw nigh unto God, God will draw nigh unto us. If we get close to God, God will come closer to us. There's never a single instance in the entire Bible where God turns his back and moves away aside from one incredibly important place in the Bible. The only time that God ever turns his back on anyone was when he turned his back on his own son on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. At that moment, God could not look upon his son because his son became sin. God turned his back on his son, and Jesus said from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where God had literally turned his back on his only son because Jesus Christ became sin. That's the only instance ever recorded in all of biblical history where God ever turns his back on or moves away from someone. So it breaks down like this. If God is distant, you moved. Dan, come up here and help me for a second with something. In this case here, let's stand right here on the second step. In this case here, we'll say that God looks a lot like a guy in his early 20s with a mullet. And so... (laughs) this is God. We're close, nothing between us at all. But then there is distance between us. We'll take a look at how distance comes in just a moment. Now, I'm getting further and further and further from God. He's still in the same place. Now, if I want to be close to God, I know where He is. He's the same place where He's always been. If I need to know how to get to God, I get to God the same way that I've always gotten to God, faith and repentance. But here's the beautiful part about being far from God, is the moment that I take a step towards God, God takes a step towards me. That's what this verse says. Draw nigh unto God, and what does God do? God draws nigh unto me. So I take another step towards God, God takes another step towards me, and now we're back where we were before. <laughs> Close. Nothing between us at all. But here's the thing to remember. God never turns His back and walks away from us, ever. If, we're, if God is no longer near, it's because I've turned my back and walked away. Thanks for ending in a seat. Same idea with God. If you want to be close with God, I'll tell you how to do it. Draw nigh into Him, and the promise, promise is that God will draw nigh into you. Sometimes people say things like, well, I feel like I'm coming back to God, I just can't find Him. You may feel that way, and if that's the case, something's wrong somewhere. Because if you're truly pursuing God with a clear heart, and a clear mind, and clean hands, and when you walk towards God, God comes back to you. We see this in the, the parable of the prodigal son. If you remember, the son says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. And the father gave the prodigal son his inheritance, and he went out. And the Bible says he wasted it on riotous living. He went and partied all of his money away. And then he couldn't afford to live anymore. And the Bible says that he began to take care of the pigs And they began to slop the pigs and began to eat what the pigs were eating. Now, for you and I, we would say, that's disgusting. For Jews to hear that story, pigs were unclean animals. Pork was inedible meat. It was considered dirty, unclean. You weren't supposed to be around it at all. But here's a guy who's sitting with these filthy, disgusting animals eating the same thing that they are. And he finally says, hey, if I could just go back to my dad's house and just be one of his servants, I would do that because at least they're not laying with pigs. And so the prodigal son goes back to his father. And he's rehearsing in his mind this speech that he's going to give of how he's not worthy. That He wants to come back and he doesn't, no longer wants to be a son. He just wants to be a servant. And he begins to walk back towards his father's house. And when his father sees him, the Bible says the father takes off running after his son. He's coming nigh unto his father, and the father takes off running to get him. And he says, Dad, I just want to... And the father doesn't even let him finish his speech. He stops him. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Son, I'm glad that you're home. Hey, get a ring and put on his finger. Hey, kill a fatted calf because my son who was dead is now alive. And you see a father running after his son. God is the exact same way because in that story, you and I are the son who has disobeyed, who has gone away, who has gone their own way. And God is the father who runs after his children. So you want to be close to God? Pursue him and he'll pursue you. So what causes the distance between us and God? Sin, first of all, hinders God, from even hearing your prayers. Have you ever been praying before and you feel like your prayers just aren't even making it out of the room? Like they're like bouncing off the ceiling and coming back at you? You feel like I'm just wasting my breath even praying? If that's the case, maybe you need to check your heart first to make sure that your heart is clean before God. Here's some Bible verses. If you have the Hui Kala app, these are in your notes here tonight. If not, jot down these if you're taking notes tonight. First of all, Isaiah 59.2 says this. But your iniquities, that your sin, has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Let me just tell you, it's a dangerous place to be when you've sinned against God and God no longer hears your prayers. But if you continue to live in rebellious sin before God, you've created a separation that, like, God doesn't even hear you when you pray. And let me just say that's a scary place to be. Psalm 66, verse number 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Micah 3, 4 says that they shall cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. I'll go so far as to say it this way. For the unsaved man, you can pray as much as you want to to God, but he doesn't hear you. You say, well, that's kind of harsh. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. That because of your sin, God has hid his face from you. The only prayer that God hears from the unsaved man is a prayer of repentance for sin. And and please let me tell you this. God always hears prayers of repentance. His ears are always open and ready to hear that. But for the unsaved man who calls out to God, God doesn't even hear his prayers. Now, sometimes people say things like, well, before I was saved, I prayed for this and God actually did that. Okay, that's a good possibility that God did something good on your behalf because guess what? God is good. God's gracious to everyone. God's grace is not limited to only his children. God's grace is available to everyone. And so if before you knew Christ as Savior, God was kind to you, that's just who he is. But please understand, God is not obligated to those people that are not his children. Look, if, if your kid's selling candy bars for their school fundraiser, and your kid comes to me and says, uh, Pastor, would you like to buy a candy bar if I get... Uh, you know, 100 candy bars sold, I'm going to get this really cool hat, right? I'll buy a candy bar. If i got a 20 on me, I'll buy $20 worth of candy bars. I don't care, but if you get the hat, I'm happy for it. If you don't, I frankly don't care. I just like chocolate. (laughs) Okay? But my kids selling candy bars, you got to get to 100 to get the hat. You'll forget about the hat in a week, but we're going to get the hat because every kid needs to win something at some point. My kids are going to sell 100 candy bars to get that hat. You know why? Because they're my kids. There have been times before where my kids were selling something like magazine subscriptions. Like, who needs magazine subscriptions? I bought five magazine subscriptions so that they got to go to the ice cream party. And all five of them came to our house. Like, hey, look, I'm willing to do it. Those are my kids. I'm not buying five magazine subscriptions from your kids. I'm just not. And if you don't get the hat for selling the candy bars, I'm sorry. Life isn't fair. But you see what I'm saying? I'm going to do things for my kids that I wouldn't do for other people's kids. I'm going to help your kids and be kind because I'm kind and because I'm gracious. But I'm specifically interested in my children. God's the same way. And so if you're here tonight and you've never been saved or born again, God wants to hear you cry out this prayer. God, I have sinned. I believe that Jesus is the only way. Please forgive me. That's the prayer that kind of unlocks everything. A prayer of repentance. Repentance. If you're a child of God and you've been sinning against God willfully, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you continue to do it, please understand this. God does not hear your prayers. I know that sounds really hard, but I need you to hear that tonight. Because God doesn't take sin lightly. Sin is something that's very serious to God. It's so serious that he would execute his only son over it. So for you and I to say, well, sin's not that big of a deal to God. He just forgives. Be careful with that. And so if you're sinning willfully against God, now, I believe there's a little bit of margin in the Bible, I say a little bit, for ignorance. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. But the moment that you recognize that what you're doing is wrong, you're 100% on the hook for it. And when you willfully sin against God, God does not hear your prayers, and it creates distance between you and God. Here's the reason why you Pursuing sin creates distance with God because you cannot pursue God and pursue your sin at the same time. If your sin is over here and God is over there, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. To pursue your sin, you must turn your back on God. To pursue God, you must turn your back on your sin. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Now, one of the fallacies of modern day progressive, garbage-can Christianity says you can have both. God's gracious. He loves you just where you're at. You don't have to change. God loves the mess that you've made of your life. And you just need to pray that God will bless your mess. That is terrible theology, and it doesn't carry a bit of biblical evidence for that whatsoever. Again, is God's grace good? Absolutely. Romans chapter 5 goes so far as to say this. Where our sin, me and you, I'm including myself in this too. Where our sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. That, that, That phrase that's used there means it super abounds. It always goes over and supersedes your sin. What that means is God's forgiveness is always enough for ever how much you sin. So if you sin a little, God's grace will cover you and then some. If you sin a whole lot, God's grace covers you and then again some. Always. And it is impossible, impossible for you to out-sin the grace and forgiveness of God. And you look at that and you go, wow, what a gift. But then somebody's probably sitting there stroking their beard. And they're saying, hmm, so if I can continue to sin and God continues to forgive, then maybe I can just continue to sin, and then God will just continue to forgive, right? Well, that's why Paul continues his letter to the church at Rome. and starts with Romans chapter 6, verse number 1, and says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid... How shall we, that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Could you continue in sin? Yeah, why would you want to? That's a better question. It's interesting to me when people say things like, well, can can I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and still have sex with my uh, boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah, I guess you could, but why would you want to? You've been forgiven of that. Why do you go back to it? It's like getting, a, getting out of jail and then reoffending, so you can get locked up again. Why? You could, but why? It just doesn't even make sense. Something has control over your life and you're set free from the control over your life, but you go back and put yourself under that control again. Yet, yeah, could you? Yeah, I guess, but why? And so you cannot pursue God while pursuing your sin at the same time. Psalm 5, verse number 4, thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Psalm 101, verse number seven, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Psalm 45, seven, thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Make no mistake, God hates sin and he doesn't put up with it. Know this, the only way that there is distance between you and God is one thing and one thing only, that's sin. And sometimes people are like, well, there's no really evident sin in my life. I just don't desire God the way that I used to. Well, then that's a heart problem where your priorities are out of whack, which is also, A, somebody help me, sin. Your apathy is a sin. Your lack of appetite for the things of God is a sin. Your disdain for the word of God is a sin. Your laziness and inability to open God's word and spend time with God is a sin. And so sometimes people say, well, there's not really any sin in my life that I need to to deal with. I just don't feel close to God. Something's wrong somewhere. We got to track down and figure out what it is. It's always going to be sin. God doesn't desire superficial words or empty worship. We don't get back to God by saying stuff, feeling stuff, doing stuff, acting out stuff. God's not interested in that. God desires from you and I deep heart change. You see, so many times people try to fix the, thing, the external things, but they forget about the heart. I'm gonna stop smoking cigarettes, and so I'm gonna focus on, you know, stopping smoking. You need to focus on you're doing something that's killing your body day after day. And your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, and you should take care of it. And it's always funny, people are like, well, yeah, the same thing can be said true about people who eat a half dozen donuts a day. If you're eating a half dozen donuts a day, I believe that's a sin as well. I'll, just, I'll be an equal opportunity rebuker. I've got no problem with that. I don't disagree. Well, the person who has pride, it's the same sin. I don't disagree with that. The person who has pride, it's the same sin. Man, lump it all together. But again, if I say things like, hey, I eat too many donuts in a given day, I'm going to try to cut back on my donuts. I'm, fix, I'm fixating myself on the wrong problem. The question should be, why do I crave things inside of me that are detrimental to my physical well-being when I'm commanded to steward what God's given me? we got to look at a heart issue. You can say, oh, I'm going to come to church more. Okay, where's that coming from? Well, I've got a book that I check off every time I go to church. Wrong answer. I want to be with God's people because I love the Lord. I love God's people. I love my church family. I need to hear preaching from God's word. I want to gather together with other Christians and worship God together with them. That's the heart issue. Not like, okay, fine, I'll try to come to church more. No, 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 no. God's not impressed with religious works that you do. He wants a heart change. He wants, he wants to be first place. He wants to be a priority. And that's a hard issue. But, but please let me help you with this. When God is in first place, everything else falls into place. When Jesus Christ is my goal, sin kind of loses its luster. And so that's why God desires you and I that we'd have a heart change. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18, Jesus says this. Man, this is a harsh statement. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oh, they say all the right words. They do all the right stuff, but their heart is corrupt. Their heart is wicked. Their heart is so far from me. God's not impressed with religious theater. Did you know that God isn't impressed with outward fake acts? of worship, not impressed by that. It's interesting to me that you have, quote, Christian ministries that tour stadiums and coliseums throughout the United States, charge $125 to sit front row, charge an extra $200 to go backstage and meet the, quote, worship team. I think that makes God want to vomit. Don't call it worship, just call it what it is. Just call it Christian capitalism. Just call it what it is. We're we're trying to make a buck off the name of Jesus. Just call it that. I would be okay with that. But don't call it worship. God's not impressed with fake acts that we do to try to look spiritual. The Pharisees in the, the New Testament, Jesus had all kinds of problems with them. They wanted to look really good on the outside, but Jesus says, this: You're dead inside. Isaiah chapter 1. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 1 if you would. This is, this is powerful. I want you to read it with your own eyeballs. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Here's what the, the children of Israel, here's what was happening. They were doing a lot of really religious stuff, but they were doing a lot of terrible, awful sin at the same time. And they thought to themselves, here's what they thought. If we just do what God tells us to do from the religious, ceremonial side, we can live ever how we want to. We can live in sexual sin, uh, we can live in rebellion to God. Uh, We can do life our own way, but as long as we like go to church and check all the boxes, we'll be okay. And here's what God had to say to him. Isaiah chapter one, verse number 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Hey, why are you guys killing all these animals? I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats, when ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread into my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. <clears throat> it's iniquity. Even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They're of trouble to me, I am weary to bear them. <clears throat> When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make your prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. That's pretty harsh. God says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. Stop killing animals. Stop coming before me. The incense that you burn is disgusting and it makes me want to vomit. Who told you to do this? Just stop. I don't need any of that from you. I want you to wash your hands because your hands are full of blood. I want you to start acting right. I don't need more sacrifice. People think that they can come and do religious things and it absolves them of any moral responsibility to God. God says, yeah, that's not the case at all. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 8 says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Proverbs 28, verse number 9 says this, he that turneth away is here from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So, turn back to the book of James if you would. I want you to see this. Verse in James chapter 4, verse number 8. James 4, 8. Draw an eye to God, and he'll draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We see that God desires that our heart and our hands would be clean. They might look at that and say, well, aren't they the same thing? No, he delineates between the heart and the hands. Our heart is the inward man while our hands are the visible part of our life. Cleanse your heart first, wash your hands. But again, true lasting change takes place on the heart first. I can wash my hands all day if I want to. If my heart is still unclean, it's only a matter of time before my hands get dirty again. What God's saying here is that, it's funny sometimes people say things like, well, I can sin, and you should mind your own business because God sees my heart. Okay, I don't really know where you're going with that. Sometimes people say like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal that I sin, or that I'm living in sin, or I have a terrible testimony, or anything like that. God knows my heart. And you know, the Bible says even when God chose David to be king, that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. I'll give you that. I don't really know what your walk with God is like this week. I have no idea, to tell you the truth. All I see is what I see on the outside. And so sometimes people say, well, well, don't judge me because God sees my heart. Yeah, but everybody else is reading your, your hands. Everybody else is looking at your life. And look, you can tell me while you're engaged in gross, egregious, rebellious sin against God that your heart is right. I don't believe you. And so I'm not trying to convince you. Okay, good, because you'll never convince me. But the Bible tells us that we'll be known by our fruit. I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but I can look at your life and tell whether or not I think you are. Your fruit will be a good indication whether or not you're actually living like a Christian or not. And so here's the thing, if our job to draw people to Christ, and we do that by living like Christ. My heart needs to be clean, but my hands better be clean too. It's not an either or, it's a both and. See, sometimes people try to hide their sin by trying to put on a really religious exterior. I'm going to come to church, I'm going to dress the part, I'm going to carry a Bible, I'm going to say praise the Lord, I'm going to sing uh, songs when we sing them. And then I'm going to go back and be involved in sin. Your hands might be clean, but your heart is wicked, 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 and God's not pleased with that. But let me tell you this, it is nigh impossible to have a wicked heart and clean hands at the same time. So God says, fix it. Hypocrisy repels the presence of God. Nothing pushes God further and further away than hypocrisy. I want to explain to you the difference between being a hypocrite and just being a regular Christian. Hypocrisy, the Bible word that we find for hypocrisy, literally means one who wears a mask. You put on a front knowing that what's behind it doesn't match the front. I put on a veneer on the outside so that I'll look really good to everybody that looks. But I know for a fact on the inside, I'm not this person. I know that. That's hypocrisy. I'm willingly disobeying against God, but I don't want anybody to know, so I'm going to put on a fake, phony front. That's hypocrisy. Now, sometimes people say, I feel like such a hypocrite. You know, I I yelled at my my neighbor. I got upset with my kids. I feel like such a hypocrite. Well, hold up up with that. A regular Christian is going to sin. That's just part and parcel of being a human being. You will continue to sin. And when you sin, you need to repent of it. And so if you've sinned and you've repented, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That just makes you a normal Christian. The difference is, is when you purposely try to cover it up, knowing good and well that you haven't changed on the inside. That's problematic. And let me just tell you this. You will rot from the inside out. And know this, it's only a matter of time before the mask drops and everybody sees you for what you really are. It's only a matter of time. You know why? Because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Guaranteed. That's why it's heartbreaking for me as a pastor to see other pastors in ministry confess to things like sexual assault, sexual immorality. Things like that because it's like, wow, you would get up on a Sunday and encourage people to follow your example when you know good and well you're not setting a good example for them to follow. That's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy doesn't just make the person look bad. It makes Jesus look bad. Look, every single pastor that falls, I grieve. Even if they're a pastor of some non-Bible preacher, even false teaching church. All the unsaved world knows is some pastor of a Christian church somewhere, quote Christian, has fallen into moral sin, and it puts a stain on the body of Christ. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But it all started with hypocrisy. And, And again, pet peeve of mine when people say things like, oh, we just fell into sin. Nobody falls into sin. Like you step in a hole because you weren't watching where you were going. You don't fall into sin, you choose a path of sin. And here's the thing, if you have chosen a path of sin, you can fix it, but you can't fix it as long as you're a hypocrite. You have to be willing to put down the mask for a minute and say, hey, I need help. I'm not okay. I've been faking it for too long. I'm tired of faking it. I just want to make things right with God. Oh, there's healing for that all day long. But the Pharisees, Jesus said unto them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. On the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Beautiful on the outside. Wow, you guys really got it together. But the second you pull the mask off, it's rot underneath. And for the hypocrite, the deeper that you peel the onion back, the worse it gets. Because notice it says cleanse your hand, you sinners, you double-minded. If you hearken back to what we've already covered in James, the Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in what? All of his ways. So if you're living a hypocritical life, it's not just in one area, chances are. You're being a fake in some other areas too. And the thing is, is the human heart, the more that you peel it back, the nastier it gets. The more corrupt it is, the worse infected it is. It's covered by pus, gangrene. You're rotten from the inside out. That's what sin does to you. And so again, all of that repels the presence of God. God's like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't have anything to do with that. God doesn't walk away. You walked away to pursue your sin. Yeah, you want to act like you're all close to God when you're not. That's what Jesus is saying. You're, you draw nigh to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So how do we fix it? Glad you asked. Repentance brings God's presence near. If that's you, if you've been uh, a little warm in here for the last five minutes as I talk about hypocrisy. If you're uh, Holy Spirit's making things a little bit heavy on you as we talked about hypocrisy. I'm glad. I don't say that to be mean. Paul says, as he writes to the church at Corinth, I write unto you not to make you sorry, but that you would sorrow unto repentance. I hope you feel so terrible about your sin that you would be willing to repent of it. And again, repent, turn from it. That brings God's presence near. Again, if God is over here and my sin is all the way over here, The only way that I can come back to God is by closing the gap of repentance. That's it. That brings God's presence near. God, I've sinned. God, I've been living a hypocritical life. I've been acting like a fake and a phony on the outside, but I'm rotting on the inside. God, forgive me. I want to make that right. I'm willing to come clean with whoever needs to hear it. I'm willing to confess my sin to you and other people that will hold me accountable for that. God, I just want to be right with you. God, I just want to be near to you again. God says, I got you. Draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh unto you, and we'll fix this once and for all. Turn over you to First John chapter one. I want you to see this. I want you to make note of it in your Bible. <coughs> 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, I want you to circle this. I want you to star it. If you're using an app on your mobile device, I want you to highlight it in whatever app you're using. 1 John 1, 9. Commit it to memory because you will need it. When the devil comes knocking, when sin and shame begin to pile up, I want you to remember remember the truth from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. I don't have to crawl on my knees and beg for forgiveness. I don't have to sit in a corner with a dunce hat on and feel shame and allow people to point at me and put me down. I don't have to do that. I just have to confess my sin to my father and he promises to forgive it. So if you've been living a double life, stop it tonight, knock it off, confess, repent, and it can all be over in a split second. That's how good God is. That's the type of healing that repentance brings. Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call up on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, get this, let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's Isaiah 55, 6, and 7. Come back to God, he'll forgive you over and above, and then some, abundantly pardon. People make this process of coming back to God so much more complicated than it has to be. I've talked to people before and said, hey, how's your walk with God? Oh, I'm struggling, but I'm I'm fighting my way back. I don't even know what that means. Because you have the power to say no to sin. Romans chapter 6 proves that. I don't know what that means because if you confess your sin and forsake it, God forgives it and you get to move on. What does it mean to work your way back to God as if there's something that you can do? One of the reasons why I absolutely abhor bad Bible, false Bible teaching is is false doctrines like penance. Penance is popular in Catholicism where they say, hey, if you do these things and you're really sorry, you got to prove it. Whether you got to say X number of prayers X number of times, whether you need to do five random acts of kindness or whatever, to prove that you're really sorry and then God will forgive you. That's garbage. Jesus Christ's blood was enough to cover my sin. I couldn't do anything to add to the blood of Christ. That's shameful and blasphemous on the sacrifice that Christ made, that you and I could add a little something on top of it to really be forgiven. I have nothing to bring at the table of any value whatsoever to God uh, apart from my sin. I can't add anything to the forgiveness of God. First John 1, 9, you need to, to jot that down. You need to memorize that because at some point you're going to confess your sin, but the devil's going to say, boy, you sure are confessing that all the time, aren't you? Boy, you sure are stuck in this loop, aren't you? Are you really a Christian if you'd act like this? You should be embarrassed to yourself. Whatever you do, don't show up to church because everybody there knows what you've done. You need to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm forgiven. I don't even know what you're talking about. I've confessed my sin. God has been faithful and just to forgive my sins, and I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. I'm clean as a whistle. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to have to come back to that verse time and time again. And again, if you think, like, well, I've done so much, God could never forgive. You need to come back to that verse again. Because remember last week, we fight the devil by knowing God's word. And when the devil tries to pull you back, into that pit of sin and shame and embarrassment and hypocrisy. You say, oh, no, 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 no. I left that behind. Where'd you leave it? I left it at the cross where it belongs. Final thought here tonight. You want to be close to God? It is 100% your responsibility to abide in Jesus Christ. 100% on you. If you say, like, oh, I just feel like God's so far away. It is not his fault. I guarantee you that. Oh, I just feel like I'm struggling to get back to God. It's not his fault because the second you take a step towards him, he comes running. Draw nigh eye unto God. He'll draw an eye unto you. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, you double-minded. And I gotta confess all that to God and clean myself up. Clean my heart and my hands. Live right. Abide in Christ. Take a look at John chapter 15, last verse we're going to look at tonight. We were in 1 John, but turn back to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 15. You've got got to see this. This is so good. John chapter 15, verse number 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Jesus says this. If you want to have a fruitful life, you stay plugged into me. I in the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, verse number 5, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Get this. For without me, ye can do nothing. That's heavy. Jesus says, abide in me. That means there's an expectation on you and I to to stay connected to the vine. The vine is Christ. The second that you disconnect from the vine, here's what Jesus says. You can do nothing. Nothing. But if you stay connected to the vine, here's what Jesus says. The same shall bring forth much fruit. You cut a branch off of a tree and throw it on the, the ground, it's, it's dead. I don't know if you guys saw over on uh, P. Equally Street over here, right, right in front of the mall, right in front of Nordstrom, there's a big huge branch that somebody broke off a tree or something, it wasn't clean cut, it was a branch that had fallen off, it was like in the road. And like he took every fiber of my being, to not put my car in park and drag it out of the road, it's just, I, I'm wired like that. But it had already, the leaves had already began to turn brown on it, and there was leaves that were blown off of this, this branch. That was, I don't know how it's been torn off, but it was disconnected. Well, what can we do to bring life back to that branch? That particular branch is dead. Nothing can be done for it. But this is a picture that Jesus has that you and I, at any point that we choose to, can plug back into the vine. That branch on the real tree, dead, gone. Won't ever be connect- connected ever again. But you and I, when we disconnect and we wither away, guess what? All we got to do is reconnect. And then life comes back again. But that abiding thing, it's 100% on you. Do you know what abiding means? It means to dwell with, to live with. Abiding doesn't take place when you open up your Bible for three minutes before you walk out the door for work. Abiding doesn't take place when you just come to church on Sunday morning and you don't crack your Bible or pray the rest of the week. That's not abiding. That's Visiting. Jesus doesn't say, visit with me and you'll bring forth fruit. He says, abide with me. That means 24-7 I'm walking with Jesus. I only do the things that Jesus tells me to do. I only say the things that Jesus tells me to say. I only act the way that Jesus tells me to act. 24-7. I'm constantly thinking, how can I please my Father? That's what it means to abide. That's where the... Power is at. So, I'm not sure how close you are with God. I wish I could say that every single person in this room tonight is as close to God as they have ever been in their life. That would be glorious, wouldn't it? I guess it's probably not the case, though. And again, you can make excuses. I've heard people say things like, Well, when I was in college, I was involved in like six different Bible studies because I didn't have a a family and kids at the time, and so it's just different now. I mean, I can't be close to God like that ever again. I I don't think God works that way, and I don't think you have to go to six Bible studies a week to be close to God. I just think you need to walk in holiness, righteousness, and repentance. That's how you stay close to God. And so if there's something you've done in your life that's created a little bit of distance, I'm going to encourage you tonight. Close the gap. If there's sin in your life that's pushed you away from God, close the gap. You just flat out don't care. You got your priorities mixed up. Close the gap. That's how you stay close to God. Draw an eye unto him and he'll draw an eye unto you. That's a promise. But you got to cleanse your heart and you got to cleanse your hands to do it.